focus on success and not fear. And by not managing that fear of failure, you're denying yourself the joy of a level of freedom and success that you probably never thought was possible. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Well, hello there, my lovely renovator. It's Bernadette. And today I'm going to be talking about the fear of failure and the debilitating impact it has on your opportunity to achieve success. I'll also be sharing a couple of my spectacular failures and a very successful strategy I use to overcome that fear of failure. So before I get into that, I want to let you know that I am back in Sydney after a month in Victoria. I flew back on the weekend and Qantas very nicely brought me home on a private jet, sort of. So just quick story. So we were heading off to the airport. I'd booked to fly home from Bendigo and we were sort of about 20 minutes into the trip when I realised that we hadn't allowed enough time. We were pulled up at every COVID checkpoint along the way and we were not going to get there in time. So I'd had a conversation with my brother about the fact that probably the best thing to do would be to leave my bag in the car and get that freighted home and just make a run for it when we got to the airport. So that was the plan. And in the meantime, Qantas rang me up and they said, are you still coming? And I said, yes. And I explained to them what was happening, that we were running late and what our plan was. And he said, well, you're the only passenger and Qantas has sent a plane down especially for you. And so I will go and talk to the crew. And so he did that and he came back and he said, the crew said that they will leave when you, they, you get here. And I said, so what about my bag? And they, he said, no, bring the bag and we will put that in as premium hand luggage. So when I got to the airport, I was greeted by, keep in mind this is a country airport, I was greeted by three people. One uh, man actually took my bag and checked me in. The other two escorted me to the, airport, to the plane and across the tarmac and I said to one as we're walking along. I feel really um, embarrassed about this. I'm sorry, you know, that I'm late. And he said, don't worry about it. We're excited to have a customer. And so, because he said a lot of people haven't been turning up and the plane has been empty. So I jumped onto the plane. I had to sit in the exit seat because apparently every flight has to have someone in an exit seat in case of an emergency. So that was me. And so got very special treatment all the way home. So thanks so much to Qantas. It was an amazing experience and I'm very grateful that I got home safely and with my baggage. So it was a really nice way to end quite a traumatic month. Okay, so after that, I want to get into my episode about the fear of failure. I know this exists a lot in renovators and for a lot of reasons, so I'm going to explore those. 
But the reason I think that this is a really important topic is because if you are driven by failure, then you're not going to be getting the best results from your renovating. And so I really want to give you some tools and some, I guess, some concepts to really help you with this. Now, let's look at what it really does to you. And so fear in itself is not a helpful emotion. Like it is on a primitive level, you know, the fight and fight response. Whereas, you know, if you're being attacked by a dinosaur, then the fear response kicks in and you know to run. But in normal daily life, we don't have the same predators as our primitive man did. And a lot of times our fear really does nothing to help us. So I just looked up what the impact of fear is on your body. And so physical health, it weakens our immune system and can cause cardiovascular, gastrointestinal problems and irritable bowel syndrome, and it can decrease fertility. It can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death. In terms of memory, it can impair the formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. This can make it even more difficult to regulate your fear and can leave a person anxious most of the time. To someone with chronic fear, the world looks scary and their memories confirm that. So your brain processing and reactivity. Fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions, read nonverbal cues and act ethically. This impacts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. And of course, it has long-term consequences on our mental health. So you can imagine that fear of failure is a very destructive emotion and it's something that we want to deal with. And the other thing I think about having a fear of failure is you've heard the expression, you get what you focus on, or the flip side of that is what you focus on grows. And so if you are focusing on everything that could go wrong, then, you know, guess what? Be careful what you ask for, because you could be inviting that into your life. But then there's the flip side, fear of success. And I never really understood that term until recently. And I realized that It's also fear of failure because what I um, interpret fear of success being is things going so well that you cannot cope with the consequences of it. So you succeed and then you've got to deal with the consequences. Like I think about it in my business all the time. You know, if I have too many people joining my program, that will impact the quality of our service. So I want to always keep a check on that. That's sort of a version of fear of success. So needless to say, fear of failure is not something that will get you to where you want to go. Like I really think I know that success breeds success. So you want to really pick up on those things that you are doing well, because if you see yourself as successful, then it grows, success grows. So focus on success and not fear. 
And by not managing that fear of failure, you're denying yourself the joy of a level of freedom and success that you probably never thought was possible. So the biggest issue that I have come across working with renovators over the last seven years is their lack of confidence. I have come across women who are very competent, however, sort of second-guess themselves. And that's just a different sort of form of the fear of failure. Lack of confidence is something that is very common in women generally. And in past episodes, I've talked about, you know, the phenomenon where men and women were surveyed on their tendency to go for promotions in their jobs and where a man would have one or two of the requirements, if that, and would just give it a go. Women, we tend to want to have all our ducks lined up in a row before we will even have a go at it. And that really excludes us from some of the greatest opportunities in life. So I really want to be able to impact that, even if it's just in a small way, in this episode. So I was, I was in, I was at actually the Her Business Conference recently and I was listening to a woman by the name of Julie Masters, who is a thought leader and tends to think about some of the common concepts quite differently. And something that she said that really struck home is confidence shows up when you show up over and over and over again. So, you know, if you're waiting for the confidence to show up first, it's never going to happen. And so, In order to be able to have what you want, you need to be willing to put yourself out there, get out there on the skinny branches and have a go, even if you're not feeling 100% confident. But of course, with property, there are lots of things that can go wrong. So we need to do that responsibly. And the first thing I wanted to look at is what actually in renovating, what is failure? And I think for most people, it's losing money. And for some people, it's not making enough money. Losing money is, I think, the monkey on any renovator's back. There's a stigma um, attached to it that may be self-imposed. But I've actually changed my view around that since I have actually lost money. I had been for decades and had not lost money. And I'm going to talk about that now because I think that it's really important to reframe that because if you are flipping, especially if you're flipping, you will be faced with this at some time because the market is a prickly character and there are many things that are completely out of your control. So in 2019, sorry, I'll just step back a bit. I have always been of the belief that when you are buying, renovating and selling, if you are, you only lose money when you sell the property. So if you have based your feasibility on sound principles, if something happens that means that you can't achieve your sale price, you just need to wait until the market returns. Because if you've looked at a graph of capital growth of pretty much all of Australia, you'll see that property values go up and down all the time. It is not a straight trajectory. And so if you happen to be selling in a dip, 
then it's possible that you could be facing the possibility of making a loss. However, that's fine if you're the only person in the deal. But one of the things that happens that can happen is if you're going into joint ventures, that you can have people with different expectations or objectives, and you can be not the only person making the decision. And so in 2019, there was, after the Banking Royal Commission, there was an almighty drop in the market. And at the time, we had three projects midway, and we were paying holding costs on all three of them. And so it was a tough year. But one of them was a joint venture. And there were other people in the joint venture that were really keen to get out of it and move on. And the likelihood was that we would lose some money. And so in the end, I looked at it and I thought the other thing was because of my position in that, in, you know, pretty much any joint venture I'm in, and because of my business, I would be the one wearing the loss, which is as it was written in the deed and as I wanted it to be. And so when uh, I looked at it, I thought, well, I could really hang out to until the market picked up. And yes, it did. We hold it for one year. And in the second year, you know, the market increased exponentially. But anyhow, we held it for one year. And I decided that it was probably smarter, well, not smarter, it was okay to take a small loss in order to free everyone up so that because the market was so low, you know, that there was an opportunity to pick up good deals and it would, we would probably pick it up on the roundabout. And so what has happened since then is, yes, we would have made our profit and more if we had have held it the second year, but we didn't. But I personally, so I wore a loss of around about 40000 I think it was. But since then, I've made probably 20 times as much in the deals that I've done since. So sometimes you've got to look at, you've got to really weigh up all the pros and cons. And there's really something up until that point in 30 years, I'd never lost a penny. And if I had of, you know, used my usual modus operandi in these situations, I probably still wouldn't have. But I'm not sorry that I had because it's liberating. So once you've fa- faced your demon and you've realized that you can survive and it's absolutely fine, and then that sort of monkey is no longer on your back. Well, that's how it appeared for me. But I think one of the things that I know bothers some of the renovators that I work with, I'm fortunate that I don't have this problem, but I have had in the past, is the biggest problem with having failing is the peanut gallery. So I'm sure that you have plenty of people giving you input about what you should and shouldn't be doing. This seems to be something that's particularly common for renovators the naysayers. And so often it's the anxiety is not so much what's going to happen, it's what people are going to say to you. And I have to say, I am just so lucky that I have 
Stephen as a husband for lots of reasons. But the main reason is that we really do support one another 100%. And I do know women who would come up against a lot of negativity and criticism if they presented in that situation. But yeah, and moving forward would be really difficult. But for me, that's not an issue because we support one another. He knows how I operate. We make decisions together. And so I have his backing 100%. And just as a side point, it is said that the biggest success factor is the partner you choose. Now, if you have a partner that is looking for you to slip up, is um, Mr. or Mrs. Negativity, that can have devastating effects on your trajectory in life and certainly in terms of success, achieving your goals. And so while I'm not suggesting you ditch your partner, you really do need to dilute that conversation and have a brain's trust of people who have your back and are going to help you to navigate the path. Because, you know, as I said in the beginning, that fear impairs your ability to make decisions and it sort of really throws you off course. So having that a constant fear or negativity in your life can deny you the success that you dream of. So I looked up the dictionary meaning of fear and basically fear means lack of success, which I think is interesting. And so I looked at what success is in terms of, for me, what success is. And I think that it's achieving my ultimate goal. So it's making a profit, building skills and confidence articulating creativity, demonstrating leadership. So for me, I want my family to understand what's possible for them and what's involved in doing it. I want them to see me having a go even when things don't go so well. And I thought about what I've done in the past over the last 30 years And what I've realized is where sometimes I've thought I've been successful, I actually haven't been. So things like flipping for 20 years before I realized it's not getting me to where I'm going. Sure, making profit, but if I sat down and looked at the time I was putting in, I was barely making wages. And so looking at lack of success or failing could be choosing the wrong strategy and it not getting you to where you want to be. Sure, you'll make a profit, but is that getting you to where you want to be? You could have left a whole lot of opportunity on the table because you've been heading down the wrong road. So being really clear about what success means to you is really important. And the other thing that I have seen is people who've made profit and then felt like they'd failed because it wasn't enough. Now, I personally feel that when you are in the one, if you are in renovating and renovating property and you're making a profit, every single profit is to be rejoiced because there are a lot of variables in it. But the second thing is that you need to cultivate your skill. 
You're not going to, well, some do, but generally speaking, you'll get better and better as you go along. And so you need to see it for what it is. And it's a process and an evolution of you as a renovator. And an important part of that is really celebrating those successes because they will help your subconscious to really create more of that. So I was reading an article in the Harvard Business Review talking about fear of failure. And it talked about the reasons for failure. And I think this is really valid because if you fail because you haven't done the work, well, then that's one thing. But if you fail because of circumstances, a certain circumstances beyond your control, well, that's quite a different thing. So you want to get clear about what it, what type of failure you're fearing. And if it's the first type, that's easy fixed. Just do the work. I'm going to link to the article because I, I think it brings up some interesting concepts. And the first one is that failure is not always a negative. So this article is entitled Strategies for Learning from Failure. Basically, this article talks about the fact that failure is not always bad. And certainly in the business world, you hear a lot of quotes around fail fast, you know, fail first, all this sort of thing. And But the problem is that failure and fault are virtually inseparable. So when something goes wrong, everyone's looking for someone to blame. And that's where, you know, your peanut gallery come into play. But then it talks about failure can also be what they call praiseworthy and puts uh, the cause of failure being the thing that determines whether it is something that's blameworthy or it's something that's praiseworthy. And I actually think this is a very valid point. So on the spectrum of reasons for failure, the blameworthy ones are deviance. So where someone chooses to not follow the process, okay? So let's talk about doing a project without a budget, okay? So that could produce failure. Or doing a project without feasibility. So buying a property without doing feasibility. Plenty of renovators do that. And and so, you know, that is blameworthy in because you know what to do and you're not doing it and then it's like expecting a different result. Second one is inattention, so not being paying enough attention to what you're doing. Lack of ability. So obviously you need skills and knowledge around what you're doing, so that makes sense. Process inadequacy, so you don't have the steps. So I talk a lot about scopes of work. I still come across renovators who don't do them. Okay, so that so if that leaves you with not being able to manage your budget, that process inadequacy is a cause of you not getting the results you want. But then it starts moving into process complexity. These are the praiseworthy ones. Uncertainty. So obviously you will have, like in renovating, we have strategies for managing that because you don't know the government's going to jump in and do something about the market and cause the bottom to drop out of it in a week. You don't know whether they're going to do that. You don't know whether interest rates are going to jump up and impact your budget. So uncertainty, you don't know whether there's going to be a pandemic. Uncertainty is a real thing and it's something that we deal with all the time. 
The next two are really interesting, and I didn't realise it until I read this, that this forms the basis of the strategy I use all the time in order for me to learn without putting myself in a position where I could fail dramatically and suffer the impact of that. And these two are called hypothesis testing and exploratory testing. So often if I'm doing a project that I'm, you know, want to do a project because I want to figure out if this is going to be a goer for, like, for example, many years ago, I really wanted to test the process of renovating apartments because particularly in Sydney, often we didn't have the budget for buying a whole house, still don't. And a lot of our renovators needed a different option, but I wanted to just test it first to figure out what the implications of that were because it is a different beast. And so it was an experiment. The other thing I did was found the tiniest apartment I could find that was the cheapest, actually, not the tiniest, but it was tiny, to figure out if I could make a profit on it. Now, I think we made 22000 profit on that, which isn't, you know, I in the way I operate now, I could look at that and think that was a spectacular failure. But I didn't see that as a failure because we had gone through that. We'd navigated a lot of things that had gone wrong and we still came out the other end with a profit. So I think that's a very powerful way to be able to deal with some uncertainty and not feel like you're failing because it's not the failure that that is debilitating. It's how it makes you feel about yourself. So I just want to outline some points that I've made in this session just for a bit of clarity. And the first point is, in order to deal with the fear of failure, is be really clear about what the outcomes you are after. You might be wanting to replace your income and you would have a figure on that. But then the next step is to accept that that's the process that you're not going to do it in a day. You're going to need to build your skills. You're going to need some education. I'm sorry if that's a shameless plug, but it's it's reality. You're dealing with a field that has significant risks. You need to make sure that you eliminate as many of those risks as you can. So when we talked about process inadequacy, you need to have those processes to follow So you're minimising your blameworthy risk. Third thing is to take note of the peanut gallery. Do you have a peanut gallery that's supportive of you or do you not? And if you don't, then you need to dilute the constitution of your peanut gallery and surround yourself with people who are backing you to achieve the results you want. The fourth step is to define success in more ways than just financial. So look at the other outcomes or the other benefits of what you're doing so that you're able to measure your success in a variety of ways. The fifth one is to celebrate every single success, no matter how small, okay? So I know a lot of renovators hide away, don't share their their results because they're concerned that people won't think that they're making enough or whatever. Be out there, be loud and proud because I know you probably think everyone else is doing better, but they're not, okay? And I think 
you know, it's a huge achievement to get through a project and come out of it on the other side smiling. So really celebrate it. And the next one is if you are moving into, so you've been renovating for a while and if you're well, not even even if you're not renovating you've decided to do a course to start looking at achieving your goals with renovating refer to it as an experiment until you get to a point where you're feeling confident say I'm experimenting with this to see if it's going to deliver what I want to achieve and so that will really help you to reframe your results when there is a risk of feeling like a failure. So that's it for today. I really hope that that's been helpful. I do struggle with communication, so I hope I've got my point across in a way that it is useful for you. And I'd really love some feedback from you. So if you are in our She Renovates Facebook group, please share your thoughts on the topic. Hi Bernadette, it's Ali in Canberra. Hi Bernadette, my name's Charlie. Hi Bernadette, it's Liz here. Hi Bernadette, this is James from Bondi in Sydney. I've got a question I'd like to ask. I have a question. I just have a question for you. Interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for the show. Love it. Hi Bernadette, it's Rebecca from Sydney. I had a question about what tasks fit with what trades. So some of the things I'm unsure of is if we're doing VJ panelling in the bathroom versus billboard. Another one was who fits a vanity? Um, is it the plumber or is it a cabinet maker or is it a carpenter or is it a handyman? Uh, another question was around siliconing. There's always siliconing to be done on a renovation projects. So does that fit with the tiler or does it fit with the person who installs the bench tops? Um, that's my questions. Okay, Rebecca, thanks for those questions. Okay, who does what? So firstly, let's talk about siliconing because that's a biggie. You want to make sure that whoever does your, your siliconing is experienced at it because bad, it's called corking, it will really detract from the quality of your project. There are corking specialists, so people that only do corking or install silicon. There are certain types of siliconing like round the toilet when the toilet's installed that the plumber will do, but generally they will only do what absolutely needs to be done. And at the end of the project, there will be, you know, the silicon joint in the where the walls meet in the corners and between the ceiling and the wall and the wall and the floor, that still needs to be done. And if your tiler is willing to do it, then definitely have your tiler do it. However, often they don't. So fortunately, I've got my tiler to the stage where he will do it, like he charges extra to do it, but that's fine. Otherwise, plenty of handymans are quite good at installing silicon. And so you can bring... Generally in a project, I have a handyman come in for the last couple of days anyhow and, and fix up all the little bits and pieces, get them to do the siliconing as well. But most importantly, supervise. If you've not got someone that's, say, a caulking specialist, just make sure that the quality of their work is up to scratch, that they're using the right colour 
and, uh, yeah, so, and the right type of silicon. I did touch on this a bit in the last, in the episode 141, where I was talking about trades. The next thing is you talked about VJ panelling in the bathroom. That would generally be a carpenter, a handyman, or a builder. The other thing is the vanity. So it depends on where the vanities come from. If the cabinet maker has made the vanity, then the cabinet maker will install it. If you've bought one off the shelf, well, this is how I do it. Other people may do something different. I actually get the plumber to install it. Uh, We have a plumber that works on his own, so I always make sure I'm there that day to help him because it's quite a cumbersome thing. And then the stone will go on top and then the plumber can install the basin. So, but of course, go over to episode 141 and you'll find more tips on working with trades. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.